As a parent, how many of you are parents? Good, good number, good number of people. Shaquille's like holding his daughter and he didn't raise his hand. <laughs> I think he's a parent. I, yeah, there, she's raising her hand for him. Um, as a parent, you parents know, especially when kids are little, but I'm sure even when they're older, uh, much of your time is spent just warning, right? You're just warning. All you're doing, it's like you're just a warning signal all day. Uh, you know, I have two little boys who are probably being warned right now not to run away. <laughs> um, and a little one who is always being warned not to kill herself because she's always climbing things and wanting to do anything that's dangerous she wants to do. So all of our time is spent saying, stop, no, that's dangerous, don't do that, you're going to hurt yourself, stop. You know, It's just warning, 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 warning all day. Why? Because warning somebody is actually one of the most loving things you can do, especially if they're facing peril. You know, if my children were... I don't know what's a dangerous thing they do. Um, oh, if my children found like a nine-inch nail in the in, in the in the uh, in the garden, and I seen them running with it, and I thought, meh, they'll be all right. That that's a pretty unloving thing because kids are clumsy; they could fall and stab themselves. It would be incredibly hateful for me to say, well, I mean, look at them now. Put the, put the stick down. You're going to hurt yourself. Like, what are you thinking? Look, he's showing everyone. See, I mean, yeah, and he will. Or they're collecting sticks. So, I mean, even as I'm preaching, I can't, I can't even not warn. It's just, it's all day. It's, it's all day and every day. You know, and then, and then they get a little older, right? You got a preteen maybe and... And you got to be vigilant. You tell them, you know, when they're crossing the road. Maybe not preteen. That's a little bit old. They should know how to cross the road by then, I think. Or maybe a little younger. You, hey, when you cross the road, what do you do? You look both ways. What do you do, Lauren? Look both ways, right? It's like she knows. You look both ways so you don't get hit by a car. You warn your teenager, don't get involved with the wrong crowd. Don't get involved with drugs and alcohol and all this kind of stuff. Why do you warn them? Because it will destroy their lives. Too many people see a warning as, you know, intolerant or unloving. Leave me alone to live my life. Imagine if there were no warning, sh warning signs on the road. It would be a disaster. I mean, look, we have warning signs on the road and it's still a disaster. <laughs> warnings are good. Warnings keep us sharp. If, but they only keep us sharp and they're only good if we heed the warning. If we ignore the warning, we destroy ourselves and others. It's not just about you. You can destroy others as well by not heeding a warning. Neglecting warnings can be dangerous. You know this and God knows this. And so in Hebrews chapter 2, and, all, and, and you know, this isn't the first time. Hebrews has multiple what they call warning passages. But in Hebrews chapter 2, which is literally the next block of argumentation in the book of Hebrews. So he introduces in chapter 1, as we went through last week, he introduces the subject matter of the letter. Jesus, who is supreme, 
And then in chapter 2, he gets straight to warning. <laughs> Jesus is supreme. Understand that. Now, be warned. Be warned. Pay close attention, he says, to the gospel that you received. And do not neglect the salvation in it. So Hebrews chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 1 to start. It says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So as we travel through the book of Hebrews, I want you to pay close attention to the word, therefore. Therefore pops up a lot throughout the whole book of Hebrews. So there's 13 chapters in Hebrews, and the word therefore appears, guess, how many times? 300. I'm never asking you again. 21 times. 13 chapters, 21 times we see the word therefore. And that's not to mention other phrases like since then, which means the same thing as therefore, which appears eight times. So over, over double the amount of chapters, or how, how do I say that? The word therefore appears on average twice every chapter. Put it that way, okay? So I don't sound ridiculous. It's important we understand therefore. Now, I often quote this hermeneutics principle, which is very important for when you do Bible study. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, what do you do, Dave? My gosh, Dave, What's killing me. There you go. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, find out what it's there for. Okay? Very simple. If you can't remember that, I can't help you. Very easy. You see therefore? Oh, what is it there for? The book of Hebrews is a rather like a long argument. And the, and the argument of the book is seeking to prove the author's point, which is that Christ is supreme. And with each block of passages, it's like the author is building upon his argument that Christ is supreme, like a house. Chapter 1, he relays the foundation. Christ is supreme. And in the next chapters, he's building upon that foundation and building an argument here. So to find out the meaning of our passage, we have to go back in the book and find out what was just said. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 comes right before chapter 2, verse 1 says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So, the author just got done demonstrating that Jesus is greater than the angels, that he's superior to the heavenly beings. And he finishes the argument by telling us, the angels are ministering spirits who were sent out to serve everyone who's to inherit eternal life. So basically what he's saying is angels exist, to minister the truth to people that Jesus is supreme. That's their, that's their like purpose. God sends them to minister to you that Jesus is supreme. Therefore, we have to pay careful attention to what we have heard lest we drift from it. What does it mean, what we have heard? It means the gospel, the good news th that Christ came, he died, he rose from the dead, and now he's seated at the right hand of power, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and that he is the supreme king of all, seen and unseen. So even if the angels are subject to Christ, and even the angels, 
you know, come out to minister the truth that Christ is supreme. Therefore, we have to pay very close attention to what we heard about this Christ. I mean, all of creation is, 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 is working together to serve God to point us to the truth of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. So this is not something we, we, need, we, we should take lightly. This is something we need to pay careful attention to. Over and over in the Bible, God tells us, He reminds us that we need to be reminded. In ancient times, we read in Exodus how God saved the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And not only did He save them, we're told He saved them with a mighty hand, you know, with a flair for the dramatic. Just read through Exodus and you'll see it. Ten plagues on the land severely judged Egypt. And when I say that God judged the land, He literally judged the land. Not just people. He caused natural disasters. Even animals and nature were not exempt from His wrath. All the while, the camp of the Israelites was kept safe. When the cows in Egypt were dying and the cattle and all, the Israelites' cattle was, was fine. When the crops were, were dying, you know, Israelites were fine. When the locusts came, Israelites were good, but everyone else wasn't. The final plague, God decided He would kill all the firstborn in Egypt and lead His people out. Well, we know what happened next. On their way out, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, regretted letting them go. He said, ah, oh, I shouldn't have let those Israelites go. Let's go after them. And he chased them all the way to the Red Sea where God proceeded to open the sea for the Israelites to walk across on dry land. And close behind, we had Pharaoh's army who said, oh, thanks God, you know. And they, they marched into the sea too and then God receded the waters and drowned Pharaoh's army in the sea. Now, you would think being saved by God in such an, in such an awesomely terrifying way would be memorable enough, right? I mean, think about that. You just lived through 10 plagues. You just watched your enemies be utterly decimated by, by your God. And then they chase you into the sea and you walk across on dry ground and then you look behind you and all the army of Pharaoh is floating in the sea and the chariots are at the bottom of the ocean. You just saw all this with your eyes. You weren't told about this. You saw it. That's pretty memorable. Would you forget that? You probably would. <laughs> because they did. God instituted a feast called... I mean, it, was, it wasn't that long before they're like, you know, where'd Moses go? Oh, he's on the mountain that we're too afraid to go up to. Uh, why don't we make an idol and worship it? Like, that didn't take long. So God instituted a feast called the Passover that the Israelites had to observe every year to, to commemorate their freedom. In Exodus 13.3 it says, Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No, unleavened, no leavened bread rather shall be eaten. So Moses says, Okay, we just got saved from Egypt. And he says, Alright everyone, remember this day. And I know you're going to forget. God knows you're going to forget. And so, so you don't, he's going to institute a feast that you're to observe every year to remember what God has done. They were commanded to remember an unforgettable event that they witnessed with their own eyes. 
and God set up a, a day to ensure they never forgot what he did. Now, the rest of the Bible from Exodus on is really a, a, a testimony to the fact that they needed to be reminded. Over and over and over in the, in the account of the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, we see the people of Israel constantly forgetting God and constantly disobeying him constantly drifting away from what God has said and not doing the good that they were commanded to do. And they, and they drifted a lot. We may look at the Exodus story and the plagues and the Red Sea and we're amazed by it. You know, I read my children the story and you know, the, the kids Bible has the picture of the sea and they go, oh, what's that, what's that? You know, look at all the, it's, it's, so, it's, such, a, it's such a powerful story. It's a cataclysmic divine event and we, and we stand in awe of God. You know, a lot of times we say, hey, if God can part the Red Sea, then he can do this or that for you. Yes, it's true. But God was making himself known to the world at that time in a way he hadn't before. With power and might, he commanded nations. And, and what God did was he said, Moses, go to Pharaoh and I'm going to stand toe to toe, Yahweh versus Pharaoh. And I'm going to show the whole world that I am the greatest, that I am the God of heaven and earth. And I'm going to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Pharaoh, and it's not even going to be close. It's not even going to be close. I'm going to utterly embarrass him in front of the whole world and get the glory. And, and, and in the meantime, I'll save you while I'm at it. He did it all to demonstrate his purpose, to save his people and to get the glory for it. And it all pointed forward to a greater salvation, not from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery from sin and death. You know, sure God saved Egypt or, or God saved them from Egypt rather, but the Exodus was only a type and a foreshadow of God's full purpose. The full purpose was was uh, uh, um, fulfilled in Christ when he died and rose from the dead to forgive us from sin and save us from death. The cross and the resurrection is the true exodus and it sets us on a journey now to the promised land, the city of God. If the Israelites drifted from the truth in light of what they saw, which was just a partial revelation, then my goodness, we have to pay that much more attention to what we have heard because we also have a propensity to drift. And I have to confess, you know, my heart sometimes can be so dull. I know the miraculous revelation of God, how he became a man, how he died for my sin to save me from, from eternal destruction. I know that. Yet sometimes I can become so numb to it, I can slip into complacency. And the reality of the gospel is a heavy, heavy thing. The most supreme being voluntarily died for a wretched worm like me. That is a thought too wonderful for the mind to even comprehend. That all the angels serve as ministering spirits to communicate this, this truth to us. The heavenly population stands in awe and amazement at what Christ has done for us. 
So we have to pay very close attention lest we drift from that. Christ himself, piggybacking off the Exodus, told us to remember his sacrifice by transforming the Passover celebration into what we know as the Lord's Supper. He told us to eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of him. Now the author of Hebrews is reminding his Jewish readers, guys, pay close attention. Don't repeat the same mistake of our forefathers. Christ is greater than the angels. Christ is, you know, he, he's the one who saved the, 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 our forefathers from Egypt, and he's the one who, who, who completed that salvation on the cross. So pay close attention and don't drift, or, don't drift away. Now, what does that look like? Watch your manner of life. You know, don't be like the Israelites of old, going after other gods, worshiping other gods. No matter what, keep Christ, the Supreme One, at the center. Be vigilant. Be a Berean. Don't just take anyone's word for it. Be a Berean. Look into the word. Does it line up with what the word of God has said? If it does not line up, reject it. If it does line up, accept it. It's really that simple. Watch your manner of life. Do not neglect this salvation. You might say, I'm not neglecting my salvation. Well, you are neglecting it if you're not verifying the truth. Because that's how you slip away. A little compromise here, a little compromise there. Next thing you know, you're bowing down before a golden image. Next thing you know, you're drinking, you know, the Kool-Aid of the Ten Commandments pounded in the powder. Or no, sorry, he pounded the gold in the powder and then he made the people drink it. Do not neglect this. Chapter 2, verse 2 of Hebrews, continuing on. He says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We'll stop there in the middle of verse 3. So this passage was a bit confusing to me. What, what does it mean when he says, the message declared by angels? What does that mean? Um, I did some digging and was reminded, like, look, I was reading the passage through a 21st century Christian living in Canada lens and had to be reminded, no, you need to read this through a first century Jewish lens living in Rome. So the word he's referring to here is actually the law given on Mount Sinai. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, which is what I thought. I said, wait a minute, didn't God give the law on Mount Sinai? Wasn't it, wasn't it God himself who did that? He did, but we're also told he did it through intermediary angels. Now, you might be thinking, what? And I read through Exodus 19 and 20, there's no mention of intermediary angels declaring the law. But Deuteronomy 33, 2 says this. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Psalm 68, 17 tells us, the chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai now in the, is now in the sanctuary. Now, you might be thinking, okay, those passages are a bit ambiguous, right? They don't clearly say angels delivered the law. They just sort of imply that when God was on Mount Sinai, there was lots of angels with him. 
lot, you know, the court was there. There was tons of beings there with him. So this is where a first century Jew in Rome, uh, you know, the thinking of a first century Jew in Rome would come in handy. So they read from the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, and in it, Deuteronomy 33 clearly indicates angels were present on Mount Sinai. The prevailing belief among first century Jews was that angels declared the law as intermediaries. Listen, this is crazy. I never, I never saw this. Galatians 3, 19 and 20. Galatians 3, 19 and 20. Check this verse out. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Okay, if that doesn't seal the deal for you, Acts 7.53, Stephen said this, right before he was stoned to death, to the Jews, he said, You who had received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. They, Christians in the first century believed angels delivered the law as intermediaries. That was the first century Jewish worldview. That's the biblical worldview. It was a supernatural worldview. A world where angels and spiritual beings are constantly working around us all the time. And this indeed is the true worldview. This is what's actually happened. This is the truth of our reality. It's, it's a spiritual world. The author of Hebrews is trying to communicate something to us here that the message delivered by angels, the law of God, he says, was just and reliable. It had a just retribution attached to it. The punishments that God gives in the law, we're told, are just, are good. A lot of times the law of God gets a bad rap. I hear a lot of Christians talking smack, frankly, about the law. It's too bad, right? A lot of times it's, oh, that's the law. We're under grace. Well, like, then why do you have the law in your Bible? Just tear it out and throw it out. It's not important. Seriously. We're, yeah, we're under grace, but that doesn't make the law void. That's what the Bible says. That's what the New Testament says. The law is not bad. The Bible tells us the law is our schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. So you should love the law. Thank you, law, for leading me to Christ. Thank you, law, for exposing me and leading me to Jesus Christ. The law shines a light on our dark hearts. It exposes us as transgressor, transgressors. And you know, that's a good thing. If we heed the law, it's a light to our path. Look at what David says. Okay, Psalm 199. We love the Psalms. Sorry, not, that's what I have written here, not 199. I think it's 109, sorry. There's no 199. I'm just reading what it says here. That's a typo. Um, we love the Psalms where David says stuff like, Oh, ye praise the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And we get riled up and we love that. But then, like, what about this? Is it 109? No, it's probably 119. That's the one that's super long, right? Yeah, yeah so it's 119, 97 to 104. Yeah, 119. 97 to 104. Says, uh, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. All day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. 
I understand more than the aged, for I have kept your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. The law is good. Praise God for the law. And Hebrews tells us the law proved to be reliable after thousands of years. God's law is still just, it's still good, it's still right, and too many people who profess Christ think somehow their ideas are better than God's ideas. Their ideas are better than God's law. But Hebrews tells us here that the message delivered by angels, the law of God, is so good that every transgression and every disobedient received a just retribution. No punishment recommended by God's law is unjust. It's all equitable, it's all perfectly right and balanced. And yet, we examine our lives in light of the law and we quickly discover what? Man, we're transgressors. We're sinners. We're, 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 we're a mess. We're a disaster when we look into the, 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 the mirror of God's law. We need a savior because the law is so ironclad. We have no way out of the just retribution on our own. If the message delivered by angels was so ironclad, so just and so pure, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How in the world can we escape the judgment of God's just retribution without Christ? We can't. We have to pay close attention as to not drift away from the truth of God's word. And we must not neglect the salvation because if we ne neglect it, we're literally doomed. There's no hope for you. Jesus Christ, God himself, became a man to die and rise from the dead to bring the salvation to you. How will you escape the just retribution of God's law if you neglect such a great salvation? How can you do it? That's the question that the good, just, and perfect law of God etches into the bothered consciences of all men and women. How will you escape? I remember once as a teenager, I was maybe 16 or 17 years old or so around that, that time in my life, and I remember one night, just, just one particular night, very, very weird night, laying in bed and just being overcome with this feeling of dread. And this thought just lingered and wouldn't go away. How am I going to escape my inevitable fate? Anybody experience something like that? Just me? Man, you guys must be really holy. <laughs> I realized in a moment, like God just like, you know, and I wasn't a Christian then, but God just sort of, you know, zapped my mind with this realization, I am doomed to die. It's coming. One way or another, it's coming. Maybe it'll come later, maybe it'll come sooner, but it will come. And... I had no idea and I had no hope what was going to come after that. And it just struck terror into my heart. I'm going to die and I don't know what's going to happen and I got a feeling it's not good. I got a feeling I'm not in the, in the right place if I were to die right now. It was scary. I think I skipped the page there. 
So the word neglect is an interesting one. It means to not feel concern or interest. Now, that's what happens when we don't pay close attention and we drift away. We begin to neglect our salvation. And if, and, and if we neglect it, there's no escape for us. You know, there's no hope for those who neglect the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message delivered by angels reveals the facts to us that we need a Savior. And if we neglect the great Savior, there's no longer an escape. There's no longer a hope for you. If you're just apathetic, you know, if you're just not concerned or interested, there's no hope. I mean, that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And it breaks my heart when I'm talking to people and we're trying to communicate to them the gospel and they just don't care. Oh, or they'll say something like, oh, you know, good for you. I'm glad that works for you. You ever get that? Oh, it seems like you found what you were looking for. No, my friend, you're going to die. And you will face the just retribution of the good law of God. And it will not be pleasant. This isn't a matter of what's it's good for me, but not for you. This isn't a preferential thing. Oh, I like vanilla ice cream. You like chocolate ice cream. Oh, kumbaya. No. You're going to die and you're going to face the wrath of God. If you neglect the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't care, if you don't have interest, it's a heavy thing. There's no escape outside of the Lord Jesus. He is the bridge. He's the escape hatch. The, the you know the great salvation we have in Jesus. The um, or rather, sorry, not 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 that the law of God. It was announced by angels, right? But but the gospel. The good news of our salvation from the just retribution of that message was declared by the Lord himself in the flesh, in, which is what Hebrews uh, chapter 2, 3, and 4 tell us here. Uh, in the middle of verse 2, or sorry, 3. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So in the Old Testament, God often confirmed His message with signs, wonders, and miracles. And in the story of the Exodus, like I just, uh, we just talked about a bit, God uh, calls Moses to go back to Egypt to set the people free from slavery. Now, that age-old famous story of God appearing to Moses in the burning bush um, is etched into a lot of our hearts. I mean, if you grew up in the, in the church, you know about, you know, take off your sandals for you're on holy ground and so forth, and then he sends Moses. But the thing that's interesting to me about that story is Moses wasn't so eager to go back to Egypt, right? It wasn't like he was like, oh, it's the Lord. What are you going to do? Oh, oh, I get to go and save the people? Rah, rah, let's go. No, Moses was like, I don't know, man. Send someone else. <laughs> I don't know if this isn't for me. He wasn't so eager. He was fearful. He was uncertain. Exodus 4.1 uh, tells us how Moses expresses his, his lack of confidence and his fear. Look at what Moses says. Moses answered, this is Exodus 4.1, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Imagine standing before the Lord, okay? And he's like in a flaming, in flaming fire, and, and, and you're in awe, and then he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Go back to Egypt and do all this. And he says, and then you say, oh, Lord, they're not going to believe me, though. They're going to doubt what I say. They're going to say you're lying. The Lord didn't appear to you. 
So here's what God does. He instructs him to do two signs. He says, Moses, take your staff and throw it on the ground. It'll become a snake. So he does that. Oh, my goodness, it happened. Pick it up. It becomes a staff again. Okay, if they don't believe that, then do this one. Put your hand in your cloak. Take it out. It'll be leprous. Oh, my goodness, I got leprosy. Lord, why did you give me leprosy? Okay, don't worry about it. Put it back and it'll be healed. Oh, look, it's healed again. Perform these signs. Then God says, if they don't believe those two signs, because they're, they're, they're kind of stiff-necked people, right? If they don't believe those two signs, then he says, take some water from the Nile River and pour it out. It'll turn the blood before their eyes. And God was pleased to confirm his prophet Moses by accompanying and backing up his word with visible signs, wonders, and miracles. And not just that, these signs and miracles were public and visible. This wasn't sleight of hand, right? This wasn't like, uh, you know, Chris Angel, uh, What's that show from back in the day? Remember that guy? This isn't Chris Angel. This is like not where he's like, oh yeah, you know, I remember the one. Go to the, 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 the buffet and open the banana and then, and then peel it and then open it. Oh, there's a $100 bill in the banana. Whoa, my goodness, how did that happen? I don't know, maybe something when the camera wasn't rolling. This wasn't like that. This was visible, public. Hey, everyone, God sent me. Prove it. Watch this, everyone. <laughs> If they had cameras back then, they would take pictures and it was visible, it was public. God confirmed his word but with his works. And that was God's normative way and is God's normative way of confirming his word by a new prophet. All through the Old Testament, we see God speaking through his prophets and confirming with a word, a sign, or a miracle. So when Jesus showed up on the scene, it was no different, except now this, is, this thing got escalated. The Lord himself is proclaiming the truth of why he had come, to set the captives free, to save uh, that which was lost. And the word was confirmed by he himself working wonders, signs, and miracles. It wasn't as if God said, or Jesus said, well, he is God, but being more specific, it wasn't as if Jesus said, you know, I'm here to save the world. Believe what I say, you know. Uh, and then God was like, okay, I'm going to do something on your behalf. What Jesus did was he said, I'm here, this, I'm, the, I'm the Lord, I'm here to save the world. I say, rise up. I say, you know, he, when he spoke to Lazarus in the tomb, he said, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't say, Lord, I pray Lazarus comes forth. He spoke it. He performed the miracles himself. He didn't have any, uh, he didn't. His words were their, on their own merit, is what I'm trying to say. Notice how the author of Hebrews words this here. He said, God bore witness by signs, wonders, and miracles. Bearing witness is something you do in the courtroom, right? When God chose to bear witness to whether Jesus was the Savior of the world or not, the evidence he presented was signs, wonders, and miracles that he himself did. Why? Because that is how he bears witness. That is his evidence. That's how he does it. That's what he did with Moses and the other prophets. And he still bears witness to the truth of Christ today with signs, wonders, and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit that he distributes to his people. And of course, the ultimate sign, the sign of signs, the miracle of miracles, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he rose from the dead, and he walked out of that tomb, it was the seal, it was the stamp. 
this is it, it's done. He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise from the dead. And he said it over and over and over again. And he did it. He actually did it. Very, very powerful evangelistic tool you can use with your friends and family. Try this one out. Say, hey, look, if I told you I was God and you should worship me, what would you say? Well, you'd say you're crazy. You had a little bit too much to drink. You're smoking something funny or whatever. But what if I told you I'm God, worship me, and I'm going to die and rise from the dead in three days, and I did it? Would you take me more seriously? If they're honest, they'll say yes. Well, that's literally what Jesus did. He literally did it. He said, I'm going to do this. A lot of people said, I don't know about this guy. But then he did it. He proved it. He rose from the dead. That's the sign we need to believe. The wonder that gives us hope and the miracle of all miracles. The resurrection of Jesus Christ that secured salvation for all who believed. So pay close attention so you don't drift away, so you don't neglect this. It's, it's amazing how dull I can become. That amazes me sometimes how I can drift and and be so amazed by lesser things. How is it that I'm not constantly skipping for joy? <laughs> how is it that I'm not constantly, you know, um, just pumped up? Why am I ever downtrodden? Why am I ever sad? Why am I ever, when I know this? That doesn't make sense, does it? I should be just jumping for joy at all times. But I'm so dull. I'm so weak. I need the Lord so much. We can drift away. And I've seen it happen with people. People I thought were like super spiritual and you know, wow, what a great example of a Christian. And then they just drift away. Something takes a hold of them and they're just gone. It doesn't take much because we're so weak. This is a firm warning for all who believe. You know, don't take this for granted. Be vigilant. And then the sad reality is that people do drift. And we see it even with like high, high profile, and that's kind of an oxymoron to, to call a pastor a high profile. But, you know, we, we have these celebrity pastors and they drift or it's like, oh, they got caught doing this or that. It's like, man, be vigilant. Sin is deceitful. You know, no one is, is immune to, to sin's uh, deception. This is why the author of Hebrew, after he describes the supremacy of Christ, goes straight to a warning. Okay, don't neglect it. Be vigilant. Because look at what our ancestors went through and how they neglected and what happened to them. If the Israelites who saw God's miracles can drift, so can we. Like, consider Judas. My goodness, Judas spent three years with Jesus. Now, for us, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We read the scriptures, we go, oh, the scriptures tell us he was always a son of the devil. So, you know, case closed, right? But but had, had we been with them, had you been among the twelve, would you have been able to point out Judas and say, oh, yeah, he's definitely a son of the devil? I, I don't think so. Because even the disciples at the Lord's Supper, they said, Lord, tell us, who is it? They didn't know. They didn't know. They couldn't tell. So imagine, imagine, you know, finding out 
there was one who was a son of the devil among us. Like, who is it? How could it be? We've all been with you, Lord. We've been through so much with you. Who, who could possibly, you know, turn their back on you? Turns out all of them did at one point, but... Be watchful. Don't neglect the salvation that, that you've been given. Now, if your heart is growing ap apathetic, I, I understand. We go through ups, we go through downs, but... You know, pray to the Lord. You know, you know, one of our most, um, you know, often repeated prayers ought to be, you know, Lord, renew my dull heart, renew me so I don't become dull and dry. We don't want to fall into neglect and be proven a false witness. Christ is the way. He's supreme. He's sovereign above it all, and He died and rose from the dead to save you. His resurrection is the hinge, our sign, wonder, and miracle that we cling to. And so I urge everyone and myself, pay attention. Be awake. Do not neglect this salvation. Heed the warning. Pay attention. Keep your eyes open. Um, because it is very deceitful and very sly how we might, um, how so many have drifted. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your good word. We know that there is no escaping your just retribution without you, Christ. And so help us to be vigilant, to pay attention, to heed this warning, to not neglect our salvation, to, to constantly pray, Lord, renew my heart. Cleanse me and give me fresh uh, freshness. So that I don't, I don't um, drift away into neglect and apathy. Lord, we pray that you'd be among us now and throughout the week, and that you would guide us and carry us through. We place it all into your capable hands and trust you until we meet you or you come again. In Jesus' name, Amen.